Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, the podcast that just destroyed team morale by throwing the water bottle. It's been two weeks since the full version of Football Manager 2021 landed and I think it's fair to say we have ourselves a classic here and, and I know this because it isn't something you decide. You, you don't ever sit there and think, eh, is this a good football manager? What do I think? You, you, you just don't think. You, you know. So if you'll indulge me this one moment, you, you probably remember the tactics show from last week. Um, and you might recall me explaining my controlled possession formation and Nick and CJ questioning whether or not I actually had anyone running beyond the ball. And, and I went back and I had a look at it and I, I switched max power to a central midfielder attack and bang, suddenly he's further up the pitch than Will Grigg and suddenly we're scoring goals and suddenly we've got an XG going from 0.8 to 2.2 and I just, I just know, I know that I am 42 years old and my wife wants me to turn this off and watch that thing about the lady playing chess and, uh, you know, it might be time to reassess things, that's all I'm saying. But um, so far in this series, we've well, we talked about loads of stuff, but mostly we've talked about how everything in FM21 interlinks. We've talked about having a, a holistic approach and trying to ensure that your team has a tactical plan that actually suits them. Um, what we're going to discuss today is how you cement all of that with your training programme. And for that, hashtag welcome Tom Davidson of Sports Interactive. Hello there. Hello, Tom. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I, I say coming in like like you've come in. We're you know we're we're each in our own places. One day we'll be together in the studio, and drinks will be had, and memories will be shared. That day isn't today. Um, maybe you should start by explaining what what you actually do for a living. So I am the PR manager at Sports Interactive, which it's an interesting one because everyone knows about Football Manager. So my job is immediately very easy. I've been a fan of the game for well over 25 years now. So I'm at the point now where um, I'm sort of living the dream, I guess, of actually working for the company that, that make it. Well, it's great to have you here. Tom, this isn't the first time that you've come running to my aid with football manager problems. Um, today, we're going to talk about training, every aspect of training, if we can. If it goes anything like tactics, we'll need to schedule a second episode to go even further. Um, the first thing to talk about with training is not training. Because in fairness, well, most of us have got lives. A lot of people don't want to micromanage. And, and it is worth mentioning that it's possible just to click a few buttons and deal with this straight away, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like with a lot of things in the game, you can just hand it over to your assistant and let them get on with it. If you want to go down that route, your assistant will handle everything. They'll schedule the sessions. They'll take the sessions. They will sort of balance it around what's going on with your club at the time. So that is, you know, an option. It's something that a lot of people do. But if you if you want to, you can get really hands-on. Um, and there's also a, a sort of tier in between that as well, where you can have a little bit of tweaking to, to what the players are training, but still let your assistant handle handle the bulk of it. If you do that, though, how do you make sure that, that what's happening is, is what you want to happen? So my Sunderland team, for example, it's all about controlled possession, biding your time, waiting for the openings. So we probably don't need to be doing sprints and cross-country and stuff like that. We're, you know, we're all about the artistry at Sunderland. How do you make sure that that's what they're being coached? Well, you can obviously go in and look at the training calendar, the training schedule at any point. So if you are you know, querying whether they're, they're training in the right sort of areas that you want them to train in, then you can just go in and have a look at it, 
give it a glance and make sure that everything looks like it should. As I said, there is a there is like a halfway house between you taking control and your assistant ha- having full control, which is where you can go in and actually change like individual session. You, say your Sunderland team got hammered at the weekend, which is, you know, a possibility. Who told you? <laughs> it's just a hunch. It's just a hunch. <laughs> but, um, but you could come in on a Monday and, and say, well, you know, we were... We weren't very physical in that in that match. We weren't really challenging for the aerial battles. We were beating off the ball quite easily. So you might want to get them working on, you know, some more physical activity, sort of building up their robustness. One thing that's what I use in my own saves is um, sort of like the scenarios that you can build in. You have your training schedule that is built out over the course of the month, and you might want to plan ahead and see that. So we're coming into Christmas now which is obviously a period of massive fixture congestion. So there's a scenario in the game where you can actually just pull out a training schedule that is bespokely designed for those incidences where you have fixture congestion, and then it will just add all that in for you. And the the bulk of your training, if if you set your primary tactic, so in my case, my primary tactic is controlled possession. Um, I'm still feeling my way about in the game, but the, the coaches will set up a training uh, schedule over the coming months that will reflect that. So you you find after a few weeks, all these um, passing sessions and retain possession sessions start popping up. One thing I I try and do is every week because you know we are Sunderland, we need every possible angle we can get. Is just throw in an attacking corner session before a game, and weirdly that's been working quite a lot. I'm a bit obsessed by set pieces at the moment. But one thing that some people don't realise or at least don't realise the depth of, is the huge difference between all of the coaches. How do you make sure you've got the right coaching team? What are you looking for? Well, as with any team, it's all about balance, right? Because, you know, you don't want to specialise in in one area and leave something else underdeveloped. So it's important to have a nice mix of coaches. You want to have some that are more attacking focused, some that are more defensive focused, uh, some that can work on, on technique. Um, and that's important, not just at senior level as well, but at youth level. And that's where, you know, certain attributes like working with youngsters and, and particularly the technical side of a game can really help um, and can and can help turn, you know, that wonder kid who's got high potential in, into someone who could become a, a future superstar. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to sell him for a profit, then you want to maximise his potential as soon as possible. Those elements are, are definitely worth being in mind. Make sure that you've got a really strong mix of coaches who, you know, and also their personalities as well. Um, you want people who are, who are professional and who are determined, pass on their values to the players that they're training as well. Partic- again, at youth level, that's really important because young players will, will take on the personalities of the people who are coaching them. You know, you don't want necessarily people who aren't that motivated or who aren't that ambitious if, you, if you're looking to become one of the world's global oh, superstar clubs and, and to, to be winning all the trophies that come along with that as well. So I never knew that. I genuinely never knew that. And, and up until about five seconds ago, I was feeling really good about having appointed Teddy Sheringham as, uh, <laughs> as one of my youth team coaches. Uh, now I feel like I ought to, um, ought to have a look at that. Um, one of the most satisfying things in Football Manager, outside of the, the matches themselves, at least when they're going well, is the star rating in, in, your, in your coaching panel uh, and mm. just gradually upgrading your coaches and tinkering with your routines until you start to max out those, those stars. How does that actually work? Because it's not quite as simple as 
you know, get someone who's an 18 for attacking and put them on attacking, it doesn't always give you four or five stars that you're looking for, does it? It depends on the quality of coaches that you've got across the board. So, yeah, you might have, you know, five of your coaches might be brilliant. They might be like experts in their field. They might be the best available. But then, you know, your goalkeeping coaches might not be up to scratch. Again, you need to you need to recruit at that level across the board. One thing I'm guilty of on my saves is not really paying much attention to the fitness side of it. I set my manager to have quite low fitness ratings anyway. So I'll, let, I'll get a fitness coach in and as long as he picks it up, that doesn't matter. But that can have a real impact on, on as you say, the star rating um, that's assigned there. So it's, it's, it's definitely worth not just trying to cherry pick and go, okay, I want an attacking coach. I'm going to go for the best available. But then revisit a few times across the season that staff panel and see, okay, is this guy doing the job to the best of his ability? Is he the best option available in that role? In January, you'll get prompted to look at the upcoming staff contract renewals. And there may be a a way that you can plan ahead to say, okay, this guy, I'm probably not going to renew him. So who, who else is available? Who could I go after? at the end of the season to bring in to replace him is, is there an upgrade there in the same way you would with your players as well you're always looking ahead for like the next superstar or the next option to bring in who will improve your squad it's the same on the coaching side as well and there's, there's these sort of hidden combinations as well aren't there I mean there's relatively simple ones like if you're good at attacking and you're good at technical then you're probably going to be good at attacking technical um, but with fitness it's not enough just to be good at fitness is it you need motivational skills as well yeah, definitely. Everyone knows, everyone's seen, uh, you know, those characters in the gym who are, uh, you know, turning their treadmill up to the highest settings and, and really trying to push on to the next level where we're all struggling to, you know, even do one lift of a, of a dumbbell. It's the same in the game as well. You need someone who's going to push your players. If, if, if No one likes doing fitness, really, do they? I don't think. Um, Dear God, no. <laughs> you want someone who's going to who's going to keep pushing you and to and to motivate them and 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 that determination again as someone who as a coach is as determined to get the best out of that player and the most at that player as they would if it was themselves so it's really important to sort of craft that that coaching team as i said with the right personalities but also paying particular attention to as you said like fitness in particular where certain attributes go together um attacking technical like like you said as well and 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 again on the youth team front making sure that that's being replicated at youth team and reserve level as well all right quick message as i multitask and try and pull teddy and the under 23 team out of the nightclubs in sunderland this show as i'm sure you know is made by the athletic it's the absolute mothership of great sports journalism it's where george Culkin lives it's where amy lawrence lives leeds united fans this mothership contains one Phil Hay. But I'll tell you what it hasn't got. Clickbait. None of that. Hasn't got flimsy wibble either, where one writer takes a sort of vague notion and smashes 600 words out before lunch. And believe me, I know about that sort of thing. Nope. The Athletic is all good stuff. It's stuff that's worth paying for. But if you subscribe now using the link theathletic.com forward slash fmpod, you don't even have to pay that much. A pound a week. That's about half the price of one broadsheet newspaper. And you don't have to read the business section. Or those 16-page colour pull-outs that are mostly about shoes or that thing with Hugh Grant. 
So subscribe to The Athletic now. Get good sports news. Go to theathletic.com forward slash FM pod. And do remember to add the FM pod bit, because when I go to the bosses and ask to extend this show beyond January, that will really, really help. Um, as will writing reviews while we're at it. Um, we've had some lovely ones, but the more the better. Whack something on Apple Podcasts today, they'll never be able to cancel us. Tom, general training. General training. There are, I would say, 30, 40 different activities to choose from. How do you know where to start? Yeah, there's a lot, isn't there? But they all have a purpose. It's really important, I think. We talked about it a little bit earlier, where your coaching staff will create a schedule and sessions around your playing style. And I think, you know, from the moment you walk into the club, that's one of the most important things to to sort of stick to, particularly over the first couple of months, to get your players familiar with the style that you're playing and the tactic that you're you're introducing to them because if you don't focus on that initially then everything else you're going to be playing catch up on because it's going to take them time to sort of get get adjusted to what you want them to do it's they're not going to really have a cohesive training plan put together so I would say in the first instance that's the best best thing you can do is to to sort of train them on the tactical style Um, and then yeah when it comes to individual activities it's it's an interesting one, depending on what what's going on at your club and, and what the fixture list is looking like for you. Because we've talked already about, you know, creating specific sessions to sort of take advantage of the the strengths of your team. But you know, there may be occasions where you need to really focus on some of the weaknesses in your team and try and patch them up so that when you're playing some of the bigger teams in, in the game, that you're not getting torn apart when it comes to match day. So it is a balancing act, as as I keep saying, with everything training-wise. It is all a balancing act and making sure that you're not prioritising too much of one thing, but also, you know, you're, you're, you're focusing on the key things that matter to your squad and to what you want to achieve as a manager. And it's also important as well, there's a couple in there, not necessarily on the, taking place on the training pitch, things like the community outreach and the team bonding sessions. They're really, really helpful for you know, raising morale, getting a few happy faces in the dressing room and bringing people closer together, which can be, you know, really important when you're in the middle of a of a packed fixture schedule and, and morale can potentially, you know, drop at, at certain points in the season as well. And again, it's it's worth reminding people to, to set training that matches what your team's trying to do, isn't it? If you're trying to build a Gegenpress outfit, you need physical stuff. If you're trying to do what I'm doing with sort of slow motion Sunderland, you need lots of ball retention. And and am I right in thinking that these sessions will actually have an effect on the players' attributes as well? Yeah, so each each of the sessions that you select um, will have positive and negative impacts on attributes because the players now train in units. So you might have an attacking unit, a defensive unit and a goalkeeping unit on the pitch at the same time. They might be training in isolation on other pitches. Um, but they all each session does have an impact on them. So, for example, if you're if you're training uh, on chance creation and you're really placing emphasis on you know your attacking midfielders, your your wingers, your strikers, um, and and creating chances that can get the ball into the box quickly, create good openings, then that will be great for your attacking players. But your defensive players might might suffer because you know they're they're outnumbered. They're getting a bit of a pasting in terms of like trying to defend those openings. So every uh, action has an equal and opposite reaction, as a wiser man than me once said. And it's certainly <laughs> the case in training as well. 
when it comes to keeping the players happy, I always remember like, so many interviews with players where they've they've talked about a new manager, a new coach, and, and they're like, oh, it's great. The training sessions are really interesting. They change all the time. Is that key to keeping players happy? Because a lot of mine are whinging. Is it better to mix it up or, or have routine? It depends on the players and their personalities. You know, again, it depends on what the general personality of the squad is like. So if you've got you know, quite a determined, ambitious squad, then they're going to be more receptive to doing more work and more intense work on, on the training pitch. Whereas if you've got players who, who maybe like a day off, um, players who, who want to, you know, get off the training pitch as soon as possible, then if you're constantly hitting them week in, week out with intense training schedules and, and lots of heavy action and minutes on, on the training pitch, then they're going to get upset. They're going to get disgruntled. So um, you've, it, you've really got to pay attention to the sort of personalities that you're dealing with to try and match the training schedule and balance it in that way. Um, but it, it can also be, you know, just down to one or two individuals and not not like the whole group of the squad. So you might have a couple of players who are constantly moaning about their training workload or about a particular session. So it's worth, you know, taking care to adjust just their concerns, particularly if they've got a lot of influence in the dressing room. You know, you don't necessarily want to have your club captain or a team leader coming to you saying, you know, I'm really dissatisfied with my training schedule. And then that sort of permeating through the other players in the dressing room as well. So it's best to nip those ones in the bud. Now, one of the things that I love the most about the, the process is is getting individual players and thinking, well, how can I make this player better? Or, you know, is it going to be a case of putting them on passing training to get them up to level? Or is it maybe changing their position? How much improvement can you get out of out of your players? And, and what what elements are required in order to get the, the biggest improvements? Well, it's one of the best parts of the game, isn't it? When you, particularly when you sort of see potential in someone and then you think, okay, I've got, I've got an idea about how to, how to get the most out of them. But it, it can be very tricky because as in real life, it's a, it's a bit of a fine art to get the most out of, out of a player. But there are things you can do. So, for instance, again, make sure that you've got a good coach working with them on whatever area that you've chosen to focus on. So if it's attacking movement, for example, that you want to improve, make sure that you've got a, the best attacking coach um, available to you that is working with them. A lot will depend on the player's personality as well, um, on, on how much you can improve them in that individual training. Again, if they're not really bothered or if they're not really determined enough to, to be the best that they can be, then you're going to get diminished returns um, than you would do with someone who, you know, maybe is of a similar ability level, but has that determination to sort of take themselves to to the next level. So um, it's really important that, you know, you're looking at, again, the personality and seeing what what the maximum you think could be from that level. And and also to make sure that the stuff you're training on is is relevant to to their profile and their attributes, because, you know, you might have a player who's really lacking in one attribute and there's only so much you'll probably be able to take them you know they're never going to be a 20 out of 20 if their starting point is a two or a three so you're better off you know maybe spending a little bit of time if it's a if it's a particular weakness relevant to their position and their role you might want to spend some time on, on that but if you, you know if you're if you're training up a, a striker for some reason you're worried about his his marking or or his his tackling then you know, I'd say focus more on the on the key attributes that, that matter to him. So I've got this kid in the under 18s. Um, his name is uh, Jonathan. I hope I'm saying this right. Jonathan Kraku. 
he's got a positioning of one. Now, as as far as I, I understand that, that means there's only a 50% chance of him turning up at the right stadium on match day. I mean, it, it's one. What can I do? What would you do if you had that play? Because the thing is, he's quick and he's composed and he can put the ball in the back of the net. And I think if I can just get that positioning up to like 10, then surely there, there's a player in there. What would you do with him? With a player like that who... Yeah, positioning of one is is not ideal for particularly if you know you want him to be to be playing in quite a fluid role. If you've got him set to, to something that requires a lot of movement, then you would probably need to spend some time training it and, and maybe build it into, you know, a, a wider attacking movement individual training regime. So you're focusing not just necessarily on the positioning, because you know, some players it can happen where they where they don't see re- any real improvement or they don't feel like the sessions are working um, if you're focusing on just one attribute. So it's it, it's it's worthwhile looking at how you can tie it into something wider that can that can develop other areas of, of their game alongside it. Um, and also look to see how how you can build that in on the pitch on match day as well. So is it is it a case that you need to change their uh, role to suit something that where they might be, you know, more fluid and and getting more more um, benefit out of out of running and and creating creating space for themselves, and then that naturally will see hopefully their attribute increase a little bit as well. My advice would be to tie it into to other areas of their, their attacking game so that you know it, it sort of fits part of a bigger bigger jigsaw puzzle. All right, this is this is my pet project. I'm I'm all over this. You can do it. <laughs> well, you say that. <laughs> um, when it comes to individual position training, I've I've got another one here. I've got Chris Maguire. He's he's thirty one. He's a smart, technically adept forward. Um, I tend to play him coming in off the right wing at the moment, but I think he'd make a great central midfielder, um, advanced playmaker kind of position as he gets older. He, on the other hand, could not. Uh, like he he just doesn't want to do it. If I get him to work on this new position, he rejects it. Is there any way of convincing him that this is the best thing for him, or are there just some players, that, some guys you just can't reach? There are some players you just can't reach. Players have an opinion of themselves um, in the game, just as they do in real life. So players, you know, particularly around you know certain players with, if you're trying to retrain a player into a completely different position or, or, or sometimes even their role, they're very wed to a particular role and style of play. So they can, they can push back and say that I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not trying it at all, but there are ways that you can try and, and, and get them on board. And, And one of the things that I've tried in the past is to actually just put them in that position and that role on match day, even if it's just for like a, a half hour stint in the second half, throwing them in the deep end, it can help because there's no substitute for actual minutes during a match and and no matter what it is whether it's just whether it's playing their usual role or whether it's training on a new role that can be really really beneficial to sort of opening their mind a little bit maybe further down the line they'll they'll be more receptive to to actually training in that role and they will pick up naturally some of the skills that are required to to take that on anyway if you if you're regularly playing them on the pitch in that role or in that position they will start to build up some of the attributes, they will start to improve in some of the areas of the game that, that are needed to carry out that role effectively. And then again, it becomes a little bit easier to, to sort of coax them into improving individual elements of that or to retrain completely. All right, taking a quick break now just to tell you about this brilliant new podcast from The Athletic. Listen to this, back in a tick. 
I'm Faker Others and I'm here to tell you about the next big thing. Well, actually, this lot are here to tell you all about the next big thing. I think he can go straight to the top and I think the ceiling with him is so high. I do think he's going to be an England international at some point. He's He really is that good. The question is, do you loan them out or do you keep them in-house? People within Arsenal are really, really rooting for this guy. The next big thing is here to tell you about the future stars of the global stage, the next headline makers at your club and give you all the information you need to know so you can impress your mates down the pub. You know, when we're all allowed back anyway. Until then, subscribe to The Next Big Thing so you can be ahead of the game. A bit like the footballers we're talking about, really. That's The Next Big Thing from The Athletic, available now on all podcasting platforms or get it ad-free via The Athletic app. Welcome back. Tom Davidson with me from Sports Interactive. We are talking training. And now let's just start talking hacks, like quick and simple things that every player can do to get more out of this. Um, I'll start with with one of my own. I, I tend to start, as you've seen, in, in lower leagues, um, usually a lot lower than Sunderland in League One as well, uh, where budgets are really tight. And uh, if I'm doing that, I will try and focus my attributes in one specific area. Uh, anyone who saw me between the sticks for Falmouth College of Arts circa 1997-1998 will know that uh, you know, I've got a bit to uh, bit to display with the gloves. So I tend to give myself goalkeeping coaching stats um, in the deluded dream that I can I can change something. Uh, sometimes I'll actually do the opposite to you, Tom, and pile up my fitness. Uh, stats so that I don't have to worry about whether or not I can afford one of those coaches. So that can come in handy at lower levels. What else can we do? Nice, easy tips. Mine are very similar to yours, actually, like focusing on on individual attributes. So sometimes I'll set myself to have the maximum 20 out of 20 for tactical coaching, just to speed up that process of of learn of the players learning the tactical familiarity and, and getting to grips with what style I want to play. It can be difficult sometimes to find someone who is at the very elite of attacking and defending coaching, particularly if you're, as you said there, managing in the lower leagues. If you're a minnow and you're starting from the bottom and your defence isn't up to much, then it's probably worth you taking more of an input on the defensive coaching responsibility. So boost that up a little bit as well. And I think as a general rule, the lower down you go, the more you want to beef up your your coaching attributes. Um, At the start, when you first create a manager, you sort of dictate your managerial style and you will have coaching attributes and mental attributes and you will have a finite amount of points to spend on both. If you're lower down, it's much better off initially dumping a load of attributes onto the coaching side because you're going to be running more coaching sessions than if you were managing one of the big boys or or managing even in the in the EFL or, or, or one of the professional leagues. You know, you're going to be, you're going to have a backroom team who can sort of take that some of that burden off you and, and and to run more of the sessions with the squad but lower down you're going to be rolling your sleeves up getting stuck in uh on the training pitch so it's worth bumping up all of the all of the coaching stats across the board i think yeah lower down fitness coach absolutely because that can that can be a real difference between uh success and failure at that level the higher up you go so yeah the tactical side of things is 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 best placed mental coaching as well can be really important if you're if you're working with a young squad that can be really useful especially if we're going into like individual training and that kind of thing and having having you there as someone who can who can handle those sessions of of trying to get players to 
to be more intelligent um, on the football pitch and to to make better decisions, then then that can be a really useful one to, to bulk up. So it really does depend on, on what sort of emphasis you want to put on the training sessions. And it's definitely well worth you know boosting that up to the to the maximum if you can it all depends on the level as well the fitness coaching at lower league and maybe the more advanced stuff in the bigger leagues is is a pretty handy uh, first step what's your go-to coaching session what's the one that you find yourself um, implementing more often than not I'm always attacking corners personally. I'm really tempted to say the community outreach because I love it, but I, don't, I appreciate that's not a coaching <laughs> session. But um, what are the benefits there? Does it to sort of give you more patience with the fans or anything like that? It's it's mainly just a, a morale booster for the players. You know, it's it's the idea when we put it in was to try and replicate those sort of charity days that you see players involved in, and I think that well, we like to think that they enjoy it. So it was it was partly replicating that, and and also a way to sort of give you a benefit of boosting an area of, of of that player's you know profile without necessarily having to do it on the training pitch um so it sort of ticks both boxes on that front but i think in terms of the an out and out session so i like you i play i play quite a patient possession style on my current save and um i i'm a massive fan of the um the chance creation session because i always find that they knock it around a lot but they don't necessarily always get it into the best positions. So um, that's a really useful one for my team to sort of like throw one of those in there uh, at least once a week, ideally twice a week, um, just to just to make sure that they they know where each other are, that they're, they're aware of, you know, where the goal is um, and, and are, are working on ways to sort of get the ball into dangerous areas. And it's all about that XG as well. So that that's 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 a helpful boost on match day as well to to know at least even if we don't win the xG is is on the way up. Right, I'm literally putting that into my training routine right now because my Sunderland team have scored one goal in their last three games, having scored eight eight in the two before um, in the Papa John's Trophy. My word, I could tell you stories about our success in the Papa John's Trophy in the league less so um we have had some questions coming in we've had loads of emails coming in actually and um, we had a big chat about tactics last week it brought a question from mark heron mark is trying to design a 4-3-3 formation that will pull opposition sides out of shape now he's got two inside forwards flanking a false nine with a metzala and a carrilero behind them see told you i could say it uh, the problem is he's not scoring much or, or even creating chances. Uh, this is something to which I can absolutely relate. We asked Nick and CJ from last week's episode and they said, I have to peer at my laptop now because I put it on the smallest font. Our first question, they say, would be what duties are the inside forwards playing? Because if you've got them both on support, that's going to limit the runs in behind and the scoring positions they can get into. Also, with a false nine, that's a supportive role as well. So basically, your front three are all dropping deep to pick up the ball and no one's really getting into the penalty area. You may also have an issue in midfield. Uh, Metzala on attack duty is more likely to add contributions in the penalty area. So say Nick and CJ. Um, and also, we, when you've got a Carrilero, he's already kind of defensive. Um, so do you need your defensive midfielder to be defensive as well? You might want him as a deep line playmaker, maybe on a support role, picking up the ball and striding forward. So if you are suffering from that kind of thing, 
uh, have a fiddle with that. Mark, um, let us know how it goes. Email me and uh, indeed anyone else if you want to email any questions, anything at all. Ping us a line, imacintosh at theathletic.com. We're all friends here, imacintosh at theathletic.com. And thank you for all of your messages this week. It's um, it's a bit old school, this show. You know, we haven't got a Twitter account or anything. And asking people to scribble out an email address and actually, like, write a letter. Um, it's been really nice uh, having all these messages. Thanks in particular to Jeremy Parente and Justin Vaughan for your kind words. But, yeah, any questions at all, imacintosh at theathletic.com. We've just got enough time for book club. Um, this week, as preparation for something completely different I'm working on, I've been reading the autobiography of Howard Kendall. Now, younger listeners might not know too much about Howard, so I'm going to ask you to uh, reach out with your mind and imagine a world in which Everton are living in the shadow of Liverpool. It's hard to do, uh, but imagine that this Everton side are on the brink of relegation and then a club legend like Duncan Ferguson or Tony Hibbert turns up, takes control, and after a difficult start, overhauls the whole team and in the space of six years wins the FA Cup, the Europa League, the Premier League twice and will probably win the Champions League too. That is in essence the Howard Kendall story but set in the 1980s. Uh, the book is called Love, Affairs and Marriage, My Life in Football. It is a ridiculous price of £2.99 on Kindle books and £2.99 on Apple books. Can't recommend it enough. If we had any more time, I would tell you about the night that me and Howard and Philippe Auclair got absolutely battered in Liverpool. Um, that was a hangover to end all days, uh, but that will have to wait for another time. Uh, if you are a publisher and you want to send me a book, no one has so far, I'm trying not to take it personally, get in touch. I'm Akitosh at theathletic.com. Tom, before we go, what's your favourite football book? Uh, can I have two? Is that allowed? You know what? Because it's you and you've been helpful. Yes, you can. Thank you. So I think my first one. So I'm a, I'm a Nottingham Forest fan. So um, I'm Oof. often yeah exactly. I'm often living in the past. Um, and my one of my favourites is Nobody Ever Says Thank You, the biography of Brian Clough oh, by Jonathan yeah. Wilson. There's a lot of books on Clough out there, but I feel like that's the one that is the most comprehensive and really gets into the contradictions of the man because he was a fascinating character. Um, and obviously, I, I mean, I never really saw the him at his glory days and him at the peak of, you know, winning two European Cups with a side that took four years beforehand was was hanging around in the doldrums of mid-table in the in the in the old second division, which um, is pretty much where we are now. But uh, it's a fascinating read and a great insight into one of the greatest managers of all time. Um, and my second book is it's a bit of a it's a bit of a different um, direction, really. Uh, it's a, it's it's a bit of a sobering read, um, and it's the story of of Robert Enker, um, which and it's a life too short by a, a guy called Ronald Reng. Um, a, a German journalist who who was good friends with Robert Enker, and it tells the story about how you had this, you know, talented, uh, really, really top of his game young goalkeeper who had the whole world at his feet, and how, for you know, through no fault of anyone, he just sort of became disillusioned with football and with life, and 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 the story of you know the how he just sort of shouldered all this responsibility on his own and, and and the tragic circumstances that it led to and um it's a really fascinating insight into 
into his story and, and, and his life. And I think it's one that, you know, we'd all benefit from reading as football fans and to sort of put ourselves in the in the shoes of the players who are often the subject of a lot of abuse and, and a lot of criticism week in, week out. And I think that gave me a really different perspective on things and, and particularly as it's told through not just his eyes, but the, the eyes of his, of his wife and his family as well. Um, it's a really, really fascinating read. That's two outstanding choices there. Check those out as well. Tom, thank you so much. Um, That is all we've got time for today. We will be back next week. We'll be discussing scouting and recruitment in great detail. Don't miss that. Uh, And make sure you check out all the other episodes on this feed as well. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to ensure that there's more, subscribe to The Athletic with that promo code, theathletic.com forward slash fmpod, or just give us a review. A good review, obviously. They're they're way more helpful. Um, This has been the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. I've been talking to Tom Davidson. Your producer's been Cornelius Mendes. And we'll be back next week. Hold up. 